Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 9, They're All After Us Now. Phil has finally located Darby O'Malley in the corner of the gymnasium talking to her friends in the news media. Darby! Darby! He called as she glanced over to him and held up her finger for him to wait. But Phillips was in no frame of mind to wait. He pushed his way through the crowd and then grabbed Darby by the arm. His eyes were flaming. Sweat dribbled down his forehead. What's wrong with you, Gary? Can't talk in here. Outside. He motioned with his head. All right, all right, she said, giving in and following him into the parking lot of the school. Okay, what is it? She asked as he walked ahead, looking around the parking lot as if he were being followed. She shook her head, tagging along with him to the car. She opened the doors and sat behind the wheel. Where are we going? The Ramada. We've got to talk to Carrie, he said. Why? He'll be over here in no time. I told you that. Darby, I just went in the school office to call my friend Fred Briggs, the guy I told you about. The phone was off the hook and Crager was on the other end. He's after Carrie, Darby, said Phillips as she sped out of the lot. Crager? He was talking to an English woman named Jay. He told her that Carrie was going to screw up their operation. No, you must have been mistaken. Why would they be working together against Carrie? I don't know. I don't know why Crager told her that he wants Carrie out, and she mentioned something about a Walsh pickup, Darby. They're doing something with those bodies. The hearse goes out to the pickup, and then they go to some platform but they've added security and they're putting the body in the back of the pickup and going in the opposite direction, he said as he talked increasingly faster. Slow down, Gary, slow down. Do you realize what this means? Someone, no, not someone, the government, he stated. The government? She, Jay, said there was time to tell someone named Beetlehouse that the government was involved. Beetlehouse? He's the general manager of the tropics, said Darby. Well, she said Beetle House had something on Carrie, but he wouldn't let him know what it was. That's when she said that they'd use violence against Carrie, continued Phillips as she pulled up to a traffic light. The light changed to green and she pulled ahead. Oh my God, this is just a little bit hard to believe, Gary. Tell me more about this, this transfer. They must have been more specific. Just that it involved bringing the Hurris to the Walsh transfer and then to the platform, whatever that is. She said she didn't want any more Jack Irwins. Jack? she asked. Jack Irwin? The guy from the National Fact Finder. You saw him in Craigville. Come to think of it, I haven't seen him here at all. And he said he was onto something really big. And you didn't believe him, did you? Believe him? He's a con man, a braggart. Nobody believes Jack. We've at least got to get to Brian and talk to him. We could have people trailing us right now, said Phillips as he looked in the rearview mirror. Trailing us? If they squelch Irvin, why not us? He said as they neared the Ramada. Phillips was now inside the sedan, scanning in all directions as Darby went in to get Brian Carey. Darby pounded on the door. Who is it? Room service, said Darby, afraid the room was bugged. I've ordered nothing. Who is it? Darby passed a note under the door. This room may be bugged. Please come out to my car and I'll fill you in, Darby. And he remained silent all the way to the car. 
Phillips watched them come out of the glass doors as Carrie walked under the canopy with Darby. Darby opened the door and Carrie got in the back seat, shutting the door behind her. Who the hell is he? He's Gary Phillips, she said, and then pulled out of the circular drive and headed west on the highway. I met him in Craigville, Brian. Your life may be in danger. How do you know that? asked Carrie as he put on his sunglasses. Gary's just overheard information that you should hear about. What did you hear there, Gary? asked Carrie as he leaned forward to get a good look at Phillips. Darby constantly checked the rearview mirror as, as Phillips spoke. I overheard a call from Crager with somebody named Jay, he replied, erupted Carrie. That makes it, that cinches it. George Beetlehouse just called me no more than a few minutes ago telling me to get the hell out of here because of some threat by Crager and the government. Oh, great, said Darby, shaking her head as the two stories jived together. How did I get myself into this one? Oh, boy. The car headed westward across the flat prairie land. Carrie related everything he had learned from Beetlehouse, and they exchanged their knowledge from the telephone call. By the time they had begun to make some semblance of the puzzle, the sun had set and the land grew dark. I just don't understand what's going on. This is so messed up, said Darby. And I think we should just keep right on going to Odessa and then fly the hell out of here. She put on the high beams along the desolate road as Carrie disregarded her words and started thinking out loud. Cogney must have an input to the commission. Conversely, Crager has something to do with Cogney, and both of them, possibly the government, maybe the CIA, are doing something to the bodies of those executed men. I doubt it's just burying them, who now felt at ease with Carrie. You're absolutely right, Gary. Just becoming aware of a burial ground isn't enough to bring out intimidations and high-handed threats. Or murder, said Phillips. Oh, don't say that, said the apprehensive Darby. I don't discount anything now, Darby, said Carrie. And who is this Jay person, asked Phillips. Well, that could be the key to this, said Carrie, as the headlights of a car in the darkness flashed. They all turned around. Oh, no, said Phillips. Step on it, Darby. Well, let's not jump to conclusions. We're all upset, said Carrie as she accelerated. What I can't understand is why the Cogney Foundation would support the Capital Punishment Act. I thought Cogney was supposed to help people, stated Phillips. They are, they are. They, I should say the Cogney family built a multi-million dollar charity, to put it bluntly, said Carrie. They've gotten into everything from foreign aid to developing countries, underwriting the arts, science, technology. The list is endless. They've fed the starving people of the world, and on the other end of the spectrum, they've given money to big business. That's why I can't understand any of this, unless they're under orders. You mean from the government, asked Phillips. Precisely. If our government, and I refer directly to the CIA, is up to hanky-panky, which is not out of the realm of possibility, if they're using Cogni for their own ends, my friends, we are just obstacles in their way, said Carrie as the sedan rose over a small knoll and then continued onto flatter terrain. Darby kept her eyes in the rearview mirror when the headlights did not appear. The guy turned off the highway, said Phillips. See, said Carrie, we're all getting paranoid about this. Oh, and why shouldn't we be? questioned Darby. Well, let's get back to Manassas. I've got to call Beetlehouse, and I'll tell you what he tells me. Maybe we can figure this all out. He knows people in Cogni. Can you really trust him? asked Phyllis. Yes, I can trust George, answered Carrie, as the stormy scene on the beach flashed into his mind. 
George is just as upset as any of us. I think he'll cooperate when he hears what I'm going to tell him. And then we can call the National Fact Finder, and if Irwin is missing, Carrie's words were cut sharp by the blinding glare of headlights, less than 20 feet behind the sedan. Darby stepped on the accelerator and the car moved faster, just as a bullet tore through the rear window, leaving a gaping hole as it exited through the windshield. Duck down! Duck down! Holly Phillips as he hunched over the dash. Darby pushed the car to the limit of all his shots, punctured the still night air, blowing apart the rear window and rattling the body of the car. Bullets seemed to be flying from all directions as the headlights kept pace with what was left of Darby's car as she passed over a hundred miles an hour on the, as the cool night air blew like a wind tunnel through the open windows. Darby jammed on the brake pedal and the car rocketed by them. Coming around on the left, Phillips caught sight of a rifle barrel sticking out of the side of the passenger window of the other car, but the ensuing shot went wild as Darby sideswiped the car, forcing it onto the embankment. The car slipped down the road shoulder, out of control, flipping, so, flipping over several times and finally exploding into a huge fireball behind them. Darby fought to control the sedan, swerving back and forth, still at a high speed. Once in control of the car, pushed the accelerator once again. Phillips and Carey looked at the burning refuge back in the desert. The brightly burning car soon faded into the darkness as they headed across the prairie. Darby looked over at Carrie as she drove the car. I told you so, Brian. All right, all right, I was wrong, admitted Carrie. We've got to go to Odessa and get a room. We'll make all our phone calls, get another car, and go back to Manassas in the morning. No, what are you, crazy? asked Darby. If they were after us, then somebody else will be after us. We've all had it now. And you want to go back to Manassas? I think we'll all get killed. I really do. I think we need to get out of here, she shouted. No, Brian's right. We've stumbled on something really evil here, fostered by our own government. Someone has to follow that truck tomorrow morning. You can come with me or go your separate ways. I'm going to follow that pickup truck. How can we live with ourselves if we don't get to the bottom of this? Is it worth any of our lives? They want you dead, Carrie. They don't care about us. They may not even know about us because we don't influence the public, but they'll kill you without a second thought. Carrie pressed his thick lips together as he looked at the city and tried to find an argument to change Darby's mind. However, it was Gary Phillips who would shake her up by saying, they know that we know something, Darby. We're dead anyways. Darby went straight to the rental car company and was persuaded by Carrie to register them in two hotels under aliases. She later sat on the bed with her legs crossed. Her face was in a constant state of aggravation and indecision. Late news blasted from the television as Carrie. The mayor is expected to act on the city council's recommendation by the end of the week. This just handed to me from the KLBM newsroom. Odessa police report a fiery crash on the Manassas Road just outside the city limits tonight. Three deaths have been reported and police are investigating the accident, which they use the term which they deem suspicious. There you have it, Darby, said Carrie, picking up on Phillips's theme. We're all in this over our heads. We can't just sit here and wait for them to come to us, he said, and she reluctantly nodded her head slowly. Brian, Brian, are you all right? Asked Beetlehouse as he came on the line. George, I've got more information. Somebody just tried to kill us. I told you, I told you, Carrie. 
that Krager, damn. And who is us? Darby O'Malley. She's a friend. Darby O'Malley and a friend of hers. We were followed by a car outside of Manassas. They opened fire on us just before Odessa. Darby forced the car off the road and then it exploded. We just heard it on the news that three people were killed. But none of you were hurt, correct? No, we're okay, George. I need somebody out here to get rid of this car. It's all shot up and I really don't want to get my friends involved. Where are you now? asked Beetlehouse as he took out a pen. The Lone Star Motel. Darby's in 45 and we're in 47, he replied. Brian, I've told you I want you out of there for your own good. We can't be sure what's going on here, not after this. Beetlehouse said sternly. That's just it, George. We have to find out. This guy Phillips overheard a phone call placed by Krager to an English woman named Jay. Jay? Just Jay? That's right. Do you know anybody at Cogney named Jay? Brian, said Beetlehouse. Cogney is a big organization. I have to, have to search out all my contacts. And I will have to tread lightly. If anyone has an idea that I'm nosing around in this, it's all over for all of us. Did this guy hear anything else? Prager told this Jay they were transferring the bodies of prisoners from the hearse to something called a Walsh pickup. Does that mean anything to you? Nothing. Transferring the bodies? What the hell is Krager up to? I don't know, George, but the destination of this Walsh thing is a platform. Maybe a helicopter platform. Brian, it could be one of a million things. I'll have to talk to my contacts, but first things first, you get your ass out of there. I don't want you involved in chasing, chasing those bodies. For one thing, you're easily recognized. And government agents will be watching me like a hawk. I get it, said Kerry. I told you before, I think Krager is bluffing about that. No, George. Phillips heard it, too. In fact, he heard this Jay suggest... In fact, he heard this Jay suggest that Krager tell you about the government. I don't know. I just don't know. Well, neither do I, George, said Kerry, as Phillips came through the door with the keys to the rental car. Oh, you got it. What did you get? Who got what? Demanded Beetlehouse. Phillips, he just returned with the keys to the rental car, said Kerry. Then I hope he uses it to drive you the hell out of there. Now come on, go to the airport. I'm going to set you up at the Hilton with my bodyguards. And if I learn anything else, I'll call you there. I don't like backing away from this. You know that, George? Confessed Carrie as he knew he had to, at least temporarily. Like I said, you're too visible. If you're not at that baseball game tomorrow night, people will start asking questions. All right, George, but you better explain it to them. He said as he looked over at Darby, who was talking to Phillips. Darby, George wants to talk to you. He said as he handed the receiver to her and walked over to Phillips. You had no trouble getting that car, Gary? No, I didn't. I can get my own car later. It's at the Holiday Inn in Manassas. Brian, I don't think you should go back to Manassas tomorrow morning, Phillips suggested. I know, I know. That's what George is explaining to Darby right now. There. There are two considerations. If I don't play in the game tomorrow night, it's going to be big trouble. People will start asking questions, and if I go with you guys, I'll be recognized. He wants to talk to you, Brian, said Darby. And I agree with him 100%. We should all get out of here, she told Carrie as she gave him back the telephone. Yes, George. Yes, George, said Carrie as she went back to the bed and began discussing the whole matter with Phillips. Brian, that girl sees my point. She's a reporter. 
I know that, George. You're right. I'll take the next flight out of here. I'll have a limo in O'Hare. I'll get somebody to Texas just to get rid of her car, so don't worry about that. Yeah, we'll leave the keys under the visor. These guys don't need keys, Brian. I'm gonna nail that little weasel Krager to the wall. We'll get to the bottom of this if we can just walk carefully. And when we have the goods on them, we'll go public. Right, right. I'll see you tomorrow afternoon in Chicago, George. Bye, Brian. Carrie hung up the telephone and turned to Darby and Phillips. When are you leaving for Chicago, Brian? She asked. Right away. I can't ask Gary to go it alone after that pickup truck. You're absolutely right. He's not going alone. I'm going with him. Join us next time for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.